Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we begin a new series in the letter of 2 Timothy. The series is entitled, Guard the Faith. Guard the Faith. Now, you will find the letter of 2 Timothy at the back of your Bible. This letter was one of many letters written in the epistles. Epistles, another word for letters. In the first century, many of them written by the Apostle Paul. He's actually the one who wrote this letter. But let me be very clear about this. Though Paul wrote the letter, he wrote the letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So what we're going to read this morning is the very Word of God. And it's important that we understand the context of this letter. The original author, Paul, the original audience, Timothy and his church in Ephesus, and the original idea that Paul, God through Paul, is trying to communicate. So then that letter can come across that bridge of understanding to the 21st century church here in Miami Lakes. Many scholars believe that the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Timothy during his second imprisonment around 63 AD from the Mamertine Prison, And I've got a picture here of the Mamertine prison. This prison is located in Rome. And Paul was there. And he wrote to Timothy, a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And as I alluded to you earlier, Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. If you see this map here, Paul would have been in Rome on the left hand side of the map. You see the boot there, that's Italy. And he wrote the letter to Timothy in Ephesus. You see there highlighted, which is in modern day Turkey. And he wrote this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit of God while Paul was awaiting the sentence of death. Most likely in 63 AD, Paul had already been tried and convicted as preaching heresy, as preaching someone as Lord other than Caesar, Jesus. And he was probably awaiting execution, sitting in the Mamertine prison. And so he's writing to Timothy And the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, is inspiring Paul to say to Timothy, Timothy, guard the faith. Guard the faith. Jesus Christ is the central focus of the faith. For the faith was under attack by the pagan culture around them, just like it is today. And the faith was under attack by false teachers in the church, just like today. And so Paul is writing to him. He's saying, guard the faith. Now, let me just take a moment. If you are here this morning as a guest, again, thank you for coming. But you may be wondering, Al, I'm not that familiar with the faith. We're talking the Christian faith, what the Bible calls the gospel. So let me give you a quick orientation to it before we continue. The faith is simply this. It is that which speaks of Jesus Christ, who is God come in the flesh. God came in the flesh over 2,000 years ago. Jesus came to live the perfect life that God requires of us, but that none of us can accomplish. And then Jesus willingly died on the cross for our rebellion. He took the righteous wrath of God that you and I deserve And he was buried. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And he gave us life and forgiveness through that resurrection from 
the dead. And he promises that life and forgiveness to everyone who will repent and believe in him. And if you're here for the very first time, if you've never really understood Christianity and it's never really been a heart issue for you, it's just been a cultural thing, here's my prayer. I pray that this morning, before this sermon is over, you would repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because you see, Jesus, after being on this earth for 40 days, ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns and where he promises one day to come again and to share his glory with his people. And through the power of that promise of life, Paul is saying, guard this faith. And that message to Pastor Timothy over 2,000 years ago continues down to us today in this church. As a matter of fact, the message titled this morning is The Promise of Life. And it comes to us through 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. So please turn there now. So in a moment, I'm going to be reading that text and turn there so you can follow my reading. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about an Olympic relay race. An Olympic relay race. This Olympic relay race is perhaps one like you see depicted on the screen. Typically, there are four runners on a team, and they're given a baton, and they're, they're, each runner has one leg around the track with that baton, and they hand it off to the next runner, and this morning, that baton is the faith, and the runners are the Apostle Paul, are Timothy, are you and me, and God himself has delivered that baton of faith into our hands, and God himself is calling us to, to run with that gospel and to guard that gospel, but here's something now. Imagine you're at this race. You see America on the right, Jamaica in the middle. You could tell who won the race by who's getting the baton first. But there's a crucial point in every relay race. It's a 20-meter box where the runner coming into the box, you can see their faces. They're straining. They've been running, and they're exhausted, and they're coming in. But this is the most important moment because in this 20-meter box, that runner that's coming in at full speed has to, has to connect with the runner who's at a dead standstill but starts running as fast as they can, but they can't exceed that 20-meter box, and they throw their arm back, and the other runner who's coming in slaps that baton in there, and they grab that baton, and that next runner takes off. Second Timothy is the changeover box. Paul is about to die. He's an old man. He's got gray hair. He's sitting in a damp prison in Rome. And Timothy is the next runner. And Paul's coming in straining like these runners, every muscle aching. But, but he knows he's run a good race and he wants to transfer that baton. He wants to say, guard this faith through the promise of life. And he's not just talking to Timothy this morning. He's talking to Al Pino. He's talking to you. He's talking to all of us that are Christians to run this race, to carry the baton of faith that God himself has put into our hands. Church, we dare not drop the baton. Because see, in a relay race, no matter if you're the fastest team, if you drop the baton, you're disqualified. That's the importance of 2 Timothy. That's why we're preaching through this book, this letter, in the next few months. So, Palm Vista, let's get in the race, shall we? Let's read this text together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace 
from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Look at verse 1 with me again. The promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says this, I'm running this race. I'm straining to run this race by the very life that I have in Christ Jesus. God made me an apostle of this message, and it's by his will that I'm handing it off to you, and it is God's message. And I want to clearly hand it off to you. This is that crucial moment, Timothy. Though I am awaiting death, I have the promise of life. And that is what propels us down the road. As a matter of fact, I would summarize this text this morning with the following phrase on the screen. The promise of life in Christ propels us into a sincere faith and a and thankful prayer. The promise of life. Again, what's the promise of life? It's the gospel. It's the promise you have that you have life not based on your performance, not based on your righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. This is the gospel. This is the faith that God has delivered to us. So the promise of life in Christ Jesus propels us like those runners down the track with long strides, propels us into a sincere faith. A faith that is real. A faith that at times struggles, a faith that grows, but a sincere faith and thankful prayer and thankful prayer. So let's look at point one, the promise of life. Paul knew that he was about to die, but he trusted in the life that he was promised in Christ Jesus. The very life that commissioned him to be an apostle, to share the gospel. This phrase, promise of life, is unique to this book. This unique description of the gospel of the faith, promise of life, is found here in 2 Timothy. And I think the reason that God inspired Paul to use that phrase to describe the gospel or or the faith, the Christian faith that we hold, is twofold. Number one, I believe he used that because God wants us to to remember that we relate to God not based upon our life, but based upon the life of Christ in us. It's not based on your works. You can't do enough to make God accept you. You can't be good enough. You can't earn enough money. God accepts you because of Christ's life. And he wants us to be rooted in that. But then secondly, I believe that he wants us to think about the promise of life as a two-fold or dual promise. The first part of the promise of life is suffering. (laughs) And the second part is glory. So what God wants us to understand is God promises us suffering because of the gospel. This book is going to talk over and over and over about being faithful with the gospel in the midst of suffering. And I'm glad for it because in this life we all suffer. So let me encourage you with these words. God promises that if you've been called by him to receive eternal life, you've also been called by him to suffer. 
But that suffering is in the context of the glory to come. So it's a dual life. It's a life of glory and a life of suffering. It's the cross that leads to the crown. It's what Jesus did. You get that? We're Christians, followers of Christ. Hence, he is our example. He suffered first and then he was glorified. And Paul himself, the one who's writing this, is in a prison. But he's joyful. Why? Because he knows as soon as his life here is extinguished, he will see glory. That takes faith. That takes faith. That takes a sincere faith, which is point two. Sincere faith. Notice in verse three that Paul says that he serves God with a clear conscience. And then look at verse five. He reminds Timothy of his sincere faith. Now, this, this relay race metaphor is found in verses 3 and 5. Why? Because in verse 3, Paul says, I serve God with a clear conscience like my ancestor, ancestors did. And then in verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith that your mother, Eunice, and your grandmother, Lois, exemplified for you and showed you. I, I, I love the fact that we're doing baptisms today. Do you know that three of the four people being baptized are teenage children of our members? And see, and I love it because what Paul is saying is that his ancestors, the Jews of the Old Testament, have a continuity with the believers of the New Testament, Jew and Gentile, because the gospel is promised in the Old Testament, and his ancestors are running with the gospel. They're running with the gospel. Isaiah is prophesying of Christ. King David has psalms that are messianic psalms, and Paul, boom, gets the baton, and Jesus is the one who fulfills that promise, and Paul's going to run with a clear conscience. Listen, Paul's conscience isn't clear because he's sinless. Paul's conscience is clear because his sins are forgiven in Christ. Jesus says the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrifice. He says, man, slap that baton in here. Boom, I'm gone. And then he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you, the faith you had, you saw demonstrated in your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois, and you saw, you heard them speak it. Most likely, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois were probably saved some 25 years earlier. Remember, this was written in 63 AD during Paul's first missionary journey in Thyatira, modern-day Turkey. And so Paul was there, Timothy was there, probably a young man, maybe a boy. And what did he see? His father was a Greek unbeliever. We know that from other scriptures. But what did, what did Timothy see? Timothy saw two women who demonstrated the gospel, two women who declared the gospel, and Paul saying, run the race according to your ancestors, your mom and your grandmother. And what I love today is we are baptizing Gabby Flores. Only God could save Gabby. But God used Sonia Flores and John Flores, who are here today, slap that baton in her hand. Now, God's the one that enables her to hold on to it and see it and believe and repent, okay? It's all by God's grace. We're baptizing Gabriel Gonzalez and Marco Simbecki. Not only do they run marathons physically, but they're running the marathon of parenting to slap that baton in Gabe's hand. God's the one who saves Gabe, but we get to baptize him today. Whew. Listen, that's, that's more thrilling than any relay race in the Rio Olympics. Nothing against Rio. I like Rio, okay? But forget the stadium screaming in Rio. We got heaven's stadium. I imagine it as a stadium in heaven. The Bible says there's a, there's a, a throng of witnesses. They're going, yeah! 
Today, they're going to be screaming as Gabe gets baptized. Boom! Hit the tape. Forget Usain Bolt. So what? Because the only way that Gabe could run that race is if God, in his mercy, calls him and equips him, and he will. I I praise God for Nathaniel Gavilan. I praise God for Myra Torres, who later in life, God called. Where are you, Myra? Tell me you're here. There you go. You scared me for a moment there. (laughs) And her testimony is going to be a little different, but, but the same with you. You're running the race that God called you to run. Church, that is the sincere faith that is being spoken of. That is the faith that is very personal. Listen, look, Paul calls Timothy my beloved child. Please look at that with me. Put your finger on it. Verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child. Nowhere else in scripture do you see that terminology. You know why that's so beautiful? Because it's so personal. Listen, the, the gospel is intended to be passed down from father to son, from mother to daughter, from mother to son, and grandmother to son. It's a personal faith. Timothy is my beloved son. Obviously, physically, he's not his son, but he's his son in the Lord. What does that speak of? That this baton is passed through life on life discipleship. To whom are you passing the gospel off? Do you have a Timothy? Do you have a Paul? Ladies, are you a Lois, a grandmother in the faith? A Eunice, a mother. Who are you slapping that baton? Whose hand are you slapping that baton in? It's God that saves him, not you. But he calls us. It's personal. It's messy. It's life on life. It's getting into your life, and you're getting into my life, and it's like, ah! And it's like irritating each other, and it's like sharing the gospel. It's, it's walking in the gospel, and when we fail, it's confessing our failures and saying with tears in my eyes, I'm so sorry. I didn't treat you right, but listen, I know what's right, but I just can't help me. And it's praying together, and it's going to community group together, and it's going to youth together, and it's going to singles together, and it's going out for outreaches together, and it's going out for milkshakes together, and Starbucks together, and Whatever. And sharing the gospel. Real people. Real people. I mean, Second Timothy is very personal. Very personal. It's more than business. It's personal. It's personal. By nature, God is personal. He came in the flesh. And he sends us to incarnate that gospel. And this personal gospel, this promise of life, is what propels us down the track it's what, it's what gives us that sincere faith. And finally, it produces in us thankful prayer. Point three, thankful prayer. Look at verse three. I thank God. Look at verse four. As I remember your tears. Excuse me. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. That's at the end of three. So at the beginning of three, I thank God. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Verse four. As I remember your tears, I long to see you. What's Paul saying? He's saying, this promise of life propels me down the track of life so that I can have a sincere faith and I run with that faith. And Timothy, I have thankful prayer for you. I remember, Timothy, 
The tears you and I cried when you were with me on the missionary journeys, the second, and we were with you, and I sent you to Thessalonica where they were stoning me and beating me with rods. And when we were, we were crying over the church at Corinth, the, the church I planted that then was rejecting me and going after false teachers, I remember your tears, my brother, my, my, my son in the faith. I discipled you, and now I'm an old man, and, and I'm praying for you. I love the image. A hunched over Paul, probably half blind, couldn't really see well, had to have the manuscript right up to his face. We know that from other texts. Probably hobbled, scars, beatings. He had been shipwrecked. Everybody had abandoned him. But man, like that picture we saw there, he's running down that track. He's just straining. And he's straining in thankful prayer. See, that's the work. Thankful prayer. And I just want to remind you, church, that as we go down the track, as we hand off the gospel to one another, that we remember to pray for those on our team. Timothy was on his relay team, and he remembered Timothy's tears, and he said, Timothy, remember, it's suffering life, it's glory life. Yes, we suffered, but there'll be glory. I remember your tears, and you're going to have more after I'm gone. But listen, there's glory on the other side. And I'm praying for you, Timothy. Here's the appeal. Do you see the baton? Do you have it? Do you feel it hit your hand? Do you hear the roar of the crowd? Do you hear heaven's stadium roaring and saying, I am cheering on Palm Vista this morning. I'm cheering on those that are weary. I will ensure that you run the race, God says, and you will not falter. You may stumble a little bit. But you're going to run it. You're not going to be disqualified because I am with you. And even when you want to release the baton prematurely, I won't let you. I will keep you. Let us hear those cheers this morning as we move into the, the baptism portion of this service. As we move into the place where we see children of parents who have had the gospel passed on to them. It is God's sovereign grace. It is God's spirit that gave it to them. God did that, but he used those faithful parents, as we see Myra, who had the gospel given to her by God himself through a dear friend. You'll hear the testimony, and then we'd say, okay, Lord, who am I to give the gospel to? Do I have it in my hand? Am I running with it? Am I guarding it? Guys, this this Wednesday night, I'm going to be teaching the men's group, fourth week of the month, gospel in real life series. We're going to talk about foundations. Where's your identity? Who are you as a man? What does the Bible say? Got to know that to know how to move forward. And then thankful prayer. Listen, church, let me tell you this. On February 6th to the 10th, we're going to have a week of prayer and fasting. We're going to have two public opportunities to pray. One in Miami-Dade on Wednesday night of that week, my house. One in Broward at the Olson home for the, the Broward folks on Thursday night. And we're going to pray. And we're going we're gonna to fast. If you don't know about fasting and prayer, we're going to give you more info on that in the weeks to come. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Because the Lord has delivered the baton of the faith into our hands. And we're going to run faithfully. And God will be glorified the day Christ comes back and we see fully that glory. Until that day, we will suffer well in light of the glory that is to come. Amen? Amen.